Some moments in life impact our hearts and lives forever. These life-changing moments shape us, challenge us, and sometimes define us. They influence our response to others and to the God who created us. We call these moments Game Changers, Encounters with Christ. It's a series that uh, we've been doing for the last two weeks. Uh, Will Davis opened up this series and followed by our pastor of uh, middle school ministry, Ronald Long. And then next week, uh, Stephen Lay, our pastor of men's ministry and leadership, will be wrapping up this series. The title, seri- uh, the title of the series, Game Changers, Encounters with Christ. And what we're going to be looking at today is an encounter with Christ that the man born blind had and experienced. And what I want us to remember from the get-go is today we look at this man who was born blind in his encounter with Christ is the fact that Encounters with Christ always require a response. Not just on the part of this man and others, as we'll see here today, but for you and for me, that our encounters with Christ require a response on our part. No exception. If you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, and we're going to be walking through this account as Jesus heals this man who was blind from birth. And setting the context, I begin in verse 1 of John chapter 9. It says that as he passed by, that is, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming When no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here we see Jesus. He, in the chapter preceding, he has been teaching in the temple. And as there in the temple, we see in verse 12 of chapter 8 that Jesus there says, and makes the pronouncement, I am the light of the world. Again, he says it here in this context as he is about to demonstrate the reality that in a physical way and in a spiritual way, he is indeed the light of the world. He's come out of the temple. We don't know if it's uh, a period of time has elapsed, but Obviously, as he sees this man born blind sitting there, 
He's probably somewhere in the vicinity of the temple because there would be a lot of coming and going. And as a beggar, if there's anything you want is to be seen. And notice that as the disciples are with Jesus and as they see this this blind beggar here, they ask Jesus a question. They ask Jesus, why is this man born blind? Was it because of some sin that he committed or is it because of a sin that his parents committed? You see, the Jews in those days, some believed that it was possible to have committed a sin either in a prior life or to commit a sin in the womb. Or they also believed that it was possible for the sin of a parent to then be punishment to be exacted on their offspring. And notice that Jesus says it was neither that this man nor that his parents sinned. It's interesting, too, that the Jews would, would uh, possibly believe that it would be possible to sin in the womb, therefore confirming the idea, the understanding that it's life at conception. But Jesus says it's neither. It's neither this man nor his parents that sinned, causing this man to be born blind, but as he said, that it is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, as we walk through this, we're going to see exactly how it is that Jesus brings about this healing. Verse 6, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes And said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Jesus spits on the ground. I can think of a time when as I was preparing this, this is kind of a true confession, but I was in sixth grade. I was in a private school in Dallas and up on the third floor of this hall on the the campus and had one of those stairwells that you could see all the way down to the bottom floor. And, you know, I mean, just being a young boy who just looking for a good time. And, and as I saw some of my friends coming up the stairwell, like Jesus, I, I spit, (laughs) but not with the same intent that Jesus had. And much to my chagrin, It missed my friends and went down to the bottom floor where there was a black shoe. And with that, I saw the face of one of the teachers looking directly up at me. As I recall, I had to stay after school and write the word loquacious 100 times. And I have never used that word until now. (laughs) But Jesus spits on the ground. And he mixes up a little clay and he rubs it onto the man's eyes. And he instructs the man to go, to go to the pool of Siloam, which is just a few hundred yards away from the temple area there. And he says to wash in the pool. What we're going to be looking at today 
are responses. The responses of those who encounter Jesus. And I want to illustrate this with a movie clip from one of my favorite movies, Ben-Hur. It's the 1959 version of Ben-Hur where Charlton Heston plays the character Judah Ben-Hur. And one of the most interesting concepts in this movie is that that the director throughout the entire movie, it's a historical fiction. It's not a true story, but it's set in a true historical setting at the time of Christ. And the encounters with Christ that people had in that movie, you never see the face of Christ, but that you only see the faces of the people's who have an encounter with Christ. And the expressions on their faces, you can see what their response is as they encounter Christ. I want you to pay attention to two characters. Judah Ben-Hur, played by Charlton Heston, and the response that he has clearly seen on his face, as opposed to the Roman soldier and the response to his encounter with Christ. Watch this. Game changers, encounters with Christ. That an encounter with Christ is in fact a game changer in your life. That when we encounter Christ, as I said before, that requires a response on our part, whatever that response is. And we're going to see today that in this chapter of the healing of the man born blind, that there are four responses that we're going to see to encounters with Christ. We're going to see the response of the man's neighbors, the response of the Pharisees, the response of the man's parents, and ultimately the response of the man born blind. So let's continue. Verse 8, where it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? The man has returned home, and his neighbors see that this man who was born blind, can now see. It says that others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Notice the response on the part of the neighbors. And this response can be characterized as one of skepticism. Note the questions that they have of this man Number one, questioning the man's identity. Is this indeed the man who was born blind? Yes, how how was it that your eyes were opened? 
And where is the man who did this? Note that there's nothing here of rejoicing with the fact that this man who was born blind can now see. Their skepticism is coming out in their questions. And you know, I had an encounter with Jesus in high school, and I too responded much in the same way as the neighbors did in my skepticism. In high school, I, on Thursday nights, I was always at Young Life Club. And I'll be honest with you, because that's where the girls were. But through my sophomore and junior years of high school, going to Young Life Club Thursday after Thursday night, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ presented over and over and over again in such clear and in such creative ways that I can actually remember there sitting there one night and saying to myself, I understand that. That's nice, but that's not for me. You see, I understood the gospel intellectually, but not spiritually. I understood it with my mind, but I did not understand it with my heart. And that I understood the gospel story much in the same way that I understand the story of the writing and the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I understood the facts of the gospel, but I did not understand or embrace the gospel. You know, belief looks at the fruit, and unbelief looks at the methods. And unfortunately today, so much of what is done in the name of Christian worship is more concerned with the method as the neighbors were concerned with how did this happen rather than the fruit. In other words, the focus in a lot of our Christian worship today is more on the form rather than on the content. A form is good, but never at the expense of content. And you know, here at Wayside, I'm so thankful for the worship teams here under the leadership of Ryan Fonseca and Jose Irizarry, who help us keep that balance, keep a proper balance between the form of our worship and the content of our worship. You know, here in this account, the clay on the man's eyes is not what's important. Jesus could have healed this man had he not even put clay on the man's eyes. The pool of Siloam is not important. That was not a condition for the man's healing, and yet Jesus put the clay on the man's eyes, and he told him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. What is important here is the fact that this man's eyes were opened, 
and that this man was given sight for the very first time in his life. Why the skepticism on the part of the neighbors? Why the skepticism to our encounters with Christ on the part of any one of us? We're reminded where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The neighbors, the natural man, the skeptic, he couldn't understand this. And so what does he do is that they take the man to the Pharisees. Continuing on in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. And now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh-oh. Then Jesus, then the Pharisees also were asking him again, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath, speaking of Jesus. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the man said, he is a prophet. See, the response on the part of the Pharisees to an encounter with Christ is a self-righteous response. The Pharisees are all bent out of shape because Jesus has healed this blind man on the Sabbath, you know, which I find tremendously perplexing because in this point in the life of Jesus and his action, interactions with the Pharisees, the Pharisees have already written him off. The Pharisees have already said, we reject this man and everything he claims to be and to do. And so why be bent out of shape than that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. What difference does it make? I think of how sometimes, and maybe you can experience this, that talking with an atheist who claims to, that God doesn't exist, and yet in conversation with an atheist, you can find them getting so upset about a God who, in their own mind, doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, that's a non sequitur. <laughs> that does not follow. Why get upset about a God that doesn't exist? I say to my atheist friends, and I say to our Pharisee friends, why get upset with a man who's working on the Sabbath if you've already rejected that man? The problem is, is that Jesus does not fit the theology of the Pharisees. And it's a reminder for you and for me that when we experience or hear of somebody else's encounter with Jesus, 
and that that encounter does not fit our theology, that requires for you and me to go back to the scriptures and possibly reevaluate our own interpretation of the scriptures to possibly correct our own theology as the Pharisees should have. The Pharisees here are ultimately avoiding the reality that the only logical explanation for the miracle that God was working through Jesus, a fact that they refused to admit themselves. That was the only logical conclusion that this is a work of God. You know, again, the Pharisees represent the self-righteousness intellectualism of our day. Those who scoff at the claims of the Christian faith. And you and I can, can so easily be intimidated by those who we perceive to be much more intelligent than we are or who are much more educated than we are. As we hear them speaking of religious pluralism in our day or scientific naturalism, making no allowance for the supernatural in their worldview or those who speak of the literary criticisms of the Bible as to what is or what isn't really Scripture. Again, Paul reminds us, In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He goes on to say in chapter 2, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. We're going to look at another response to an encounter with Christ, and that being of the parents of the man who was born blind. Notice that the response here of the parents is one that would be characterized as compromise. Let's read as we continue on in verse 18. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how is it? How does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And note this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And for this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You know, it's like a good politician dodging the question. 
You know, who would know the son better than the parents? I recall that, uh, I think it was for our 30th anniversary, Kathy and I made a trip over to London for a week. And as I was talking to our oldest daughter, Katie, who lives in New York, and her work at that time was with a company that was headquartered in London. And as I told Katie when Kathy and I were going to be making this trip, Katie said, Dad, I am going to be in London for three of those days that you all are there. And I said, let's not tell your mother. (laughs) Let's have some fun. And so Katie and I set up this rendezvous in the executive lounge at the hotel where we were staying. And um, Kathy exited the lounge to go use the restroom. And with that, Katie made her entrance and sat down in the chair where Katie, where Kathy had been sitting with her back to the door, to the entrance to the lounge. So as Kathy comes into the lounge and sees a woman sitting in the chair talking to me, she approached with much curiosity and was greatly surprised, but she told us, when I saw the back of that woman, she said, I thought, she looks a lot like Katie. Who but a mother (laughs) would recognize a child like that from the back side? Who but this man that was born blind, who but his parents would know, in fact, who he was? And notice that in this back and forth with the Pharisees, as we have stated, the parents did not answer the Pharisees. They refused to be engaged in a controversial issue over Jesus. Why? Because we read that they were afraid of the Jews. Because the Jews said that anyone who is affirming Jesus and who he claims to be will be put out of the synagogue. And you know, in our encounters with Christ, there's a cost of discipleship, isn't there? And the cost here that these parents were not willing to absorb. Being put out of the synagogue meant that you would be cut off from Jewish society in which you lived, that your friends would no longer speak with you, that they would no longer transact business with you, that there would be no participation on your part in public worship. The parents' response is one of compromise, putting reputation and social standing above all else. You know, the Pharisees, again, they're they're getting nowhere with this man's parents. And picking up again in verse 24, so a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? 
And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They're getting nowhere with this man. And notice the arrogance of these Pharisees where they say, we know, we know that this man is a sinner. And notice that the focus of the Pharisees, much like the neighbors, is on the wrong thing. They're more concerned with how this miracle has happened rather than on what has happened. And it's ironic that the Pharisees would state that we're disciples of Moses because it was Jesus who had earlier told them, Moses speaks of me. The Pharisees are conflicted. As we read on, it says in verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. The Pharisees are conflicted that Jesus is performing this miracle on the Sabbath, which required them to label him as a sinner And yet the reality of the miracle required them to also acknowledge that this is a work of God. It's an understatement to say that they were conflicted. You know, again, in their self-righteousness, the Pharisees avoided the obvious implication that God was working in and through Jesus in this miracle. And so they resort to excommunicating this blind man from the synagogue. Well, what about the man born blind? Let's look in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord that I may believe. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The response of the man born blind to his encounter with Christ is one of obedience And even though God had given sight without any action required on the part of the man other than the going and washing, 
Jesus required a response from the man. And in fact, Jesus did not have to require him to go and to wash. He could have done it on the spot. Notice that Jesus did not offer to take the man to the pool or to wash the mud off of the man's eyes. No, it required a response to the encounter with Jesus on the part of the man born blind. Jesus said, go and wash. And the man went and he washed and received his sight. The man born blind had to at least believe that his sight could be restored. He had no guarantee from Jesus that his sight would be given to him. As a matter of fact, as you picture Jesus put in the mud and this man with these mud clumps on his eyes, he had to trust that he was not being mocked or ridiculed, that he had to walk those several hundred yards from the temple to the pool. As you can imagine, the crowds looking on and surely some mocking, but some also wondering, what is this? And following that man to the pool. You know, the first stage of faith is acceptance of fact. And as we've read here, as we've seen the response of this blind man, he tells the neighbors, he tells the Pharisees, he tells his parents, the man called Jesus did this. The man called Jesus told me to go and to wash. And all I can tell you now is I was blind, but now I see. I can't tell you how it happened, but all I can tell you is it happened. And note the progression of this man born blind in his response to his encounter with Christ. Because he begins by saying the man they call Jesus in verse 11. And then he refers to him, to the Pharisees, as a prophet in verse 17. And in his further conversation with the Pharisees, he implies in a statement that Jesus is from God. And then in verse 38, we see the man addressing Jesus as Lord, and he worships him. This is a picture of the growth of faith, obviously happening here in one context with this man. But it's a picture of the response and the growth in faith that you and I are to have in our encounter with Jesus. And notice that the blind man, he does not allow himself to be drawn into theological debate with the Pharisees like his parents. You know, where they say, we know that this man is a sinner. And the blind man responds, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know is that I was blind, but now I see. You know, the most powerful witness that you and I have as Christians is our changed life. 
Nobody can dispute the change in your life that's brought about by your encounter with Jesus Christ as a result of your response to that encounter. And what is so encouraging about that is that the change in your life pointing to the reality that God can change a life is an encouragement to others as you and I share that with others. Because others can look at us and say, if he can do it to him, he can do it in me. You know, witnessing is really nothing more than sharing what you know about God with somebody else. With sharing with somebody else your encounter with Christ and your response of obedience to that encounter. Jesus is the ultimate game changer. And you know, for myself, eventually through the witness of a Christian named Kathy Bird, who I was dating in 1975 on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin, I had another encounter with Christ. And I subsequently responded to that encounter by putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, most definitely a real game changer in my life. And eventually observing the change brought about in my life, one of my older brothers commented to me, he said, you know, Kathy is the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I was able to correct that and said, no, the best thing that's ever happened to me is Jesus Christ. And by the way, that Kathy Bird eventually changed her name to Kathy Gordon. And she's kept that name now for over 37 years. And she wears it well. (laughs) The man born blind his response to his encounter with Christ, a response of obedience. And notice as we wrap up that Jesus, in verse 40, it says, those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see then your sin remains. So he was telling the Pharisees is that your problem is that you aren't blind. Because if you were blind, you would know your need. But the fact is, is that you say that you see, not just physically, but more so spiritually. And he says, because you see, you say that you see, you have great need. I close with this quote by Lawrence O. Richards. There is no one as blind as the person who sees the truth and then shuts his eyes tight in a desperate effort to avoid admitting it. Let me read that again. There is no one as blind as the person who sees the truth and then shut 
his eyes tight in a desperate effort to avoid admitting it. Jesus, the ultimate game changer. And for those of us who have responded in obedience, which is, by the way, the only proper response to an encounter with Christ, we come to the point in our service to celebrate what it is that Christ has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. You see, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, which means that he has saved you and me, you and I who have put our confidence in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. He has illumined our hearts and our minds to the understanding of the truth, the reality, not only of who we are, but who he is. And if you're one who has your confidence in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, I invite you now to participate. This is not the table of Wayside Chapel. This is the table of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of him. Amen.
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we thank you for so great a salvation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we thank you, Father, for encounters with him and the fact that that demands a response, whatever that may be. Thank you, Father, for the response of obedience that brings us to the light that Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And we thank you for that. To the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. There's going to be people up front here who, if you would like to talk to them about your own encounter with Jesus Christ, feel free to come forward and do so. Have a great, great week.